0: Good morning, Christ Chapel. How are you? Good good morning, especially to South Campus, to West Campus, to the Hive, and also good morning to the Fort Worth campus, those streaming online. Uh, Love it. Honored and humbled and privileged to get to preach God's word to you. If you were here last week, uh, Cody announced um, that they were adding some responsibilities to my plate, uh, that I'm now the Fort Worth campus pastor, and he said it publicly, so now he's stuck with me. Um, So here I am. That's kind. That's really kind. I still... Thank you. That's really kind. I still, get to, um, I still get to oversee the college and the young adult ministry, so praise God for that, uh, but also get to be around here in the Fort Worth campus more and, and love on you guys and learn what that looks like. Um, really uh, also humbled and honored to get to walk alongside guys like Matt Lance uh, out of the West Campus. The pastor you guys have out there uh, is an incredible guy, and Micah Barnum at the South Campus, and I think that's one of the things that uh, I was so excited about is some men to sharpen me and chisel me uh, as, as we get to follow Cody and, the elders uh, of this church as they lead us. So we're going to jump into this passage here. Uh, we're closing down the book of Matthew. We're finishing the book of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 28, uh, page 835, if you got those blue Bibles. Flip there. We're going to get after it. This is a passage, um, when, we, when we've talked about this theme of do you hear what I hear, uh, I think that as a theme of so many of these passages we've studied the last several weeks sticks out to me greatly Because this is a passage um, that to some people in this room or watching or online uh, is familiar. It's the Great Commission. It's it's something that maybe has been talked about in in churches. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've heard it preached before. And yet, so often, the Spirit of God takes His words, and and there are seasons in our life where it just clicks. Uh, This passage specifically that I get to preach today has changed the trajectory of my family, Uh, the family tree that I come from. My grandfather was a was a teacher and then became a carpenter and had a carpentry business and sat in his Baptist church every Sunday for for basically his entire life, um, had heard this passage preached multiple times. And then when he was 43 years old, the Spirit of God did something and he heard what he hadn't heard before as the Spirit of God took what we're going to read today and brought him from a carpenter here in Texas to becoming a missionary with my grandmother in Mexico for 30 years. And they went and they planted over a dozen churches in Mexico and, and for all of, almost all of my life lived there making disciples. Um, my dad also did the same thing at 42. He beat him by a year, um, but was in corporate America. And then God felt this call and this tug and, and was pulling him uh, to walk away from that into these steps of obedience that for, for my dad meant... Um, becoming a missionary uh, to Russia. So here we are. So this, um, this passage is incredibly personal to me. It's God's word. I hope it's personal to you. And it might, um, it might wreck your life in ways that bring God so much glory and are so sweet and are so worth it. So let's get after it. Matthew 28, we're going to be in verses 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. This is one of the final instructions Jesus gives to his disciples, right? These disciples who'd walked with Jesus for three years. I mean, they had eaten breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They had left their jobs. They had followed Christ. He had taught them. He had loved them. He had had modeled for them what this life looks like. They had watched him do miracles. They'd watched him um, live his life. They'd watched him usher in the kingdom that he was the king of, they'd watched him get arrested, they'd watched him get crucified, and now standing on on a mountain, these 11 disciples before the resurrected Savior who they've walked with is calling them to this great commission, right? It's a command that Christ gives to his followers, right? All of them. It's a command that echoes and is amplified throughout all of the New Testament, right? It's a command that not just these 11 disciples, but all of us Anyone who claims the name of a Christ follower, this is a command for us. It's a command that's been given to all who follow Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 refers to this idea as those who have been reconciled, those who have been redeemed. If you are saved, then you have been made an ambassador. You have a job to do. You have an ambassadorship, a mission to go. The entire book of Acts is the unfolding of the New Testament church where this command of Jesus spreads through the disciples and through others. It's really important that we recognize this command um, that is not just for those who are mature, varsity Christians. This is from fishermen to tax collectors, from from soldiers to children, from people of a lot of education to, to little to no education, a lot of ministry experience, little to no ministry experience. The command is for everyone, go therefore and make disciples to all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If you are a Christian, if you are following Jesus, these are your marching orders. These are our marching orders, right? This is a non-negotiable commissioning, right? If you're a follower of Christ, it's not a suggestion. It's not an extracurricular of the Christian faith, I'm going to take the 101 class, and I'm going to I'm going to become a, a good Christian, and maybe one day I'll I'll get my master's degree, and I'll, I'll kind of do the Christian master's degree, and really really go and make disciples. No, no, this is for all who follow Christ. Throughout Scripture, God uses all of us, and He calls us to be obedient to what He's doing and this command. I say this a lot. Um, with a lot of our young adult services. And I want you to hear this with a, just a ton of compassion, please. But I want you to hear it. If you're following Jesus, if you are following Jesus and you are not making disciples, I love you, but I don't know what you're doing because you're not following Jesus. Inherent within the idea of following Jesus is, Jesus, you saved me. You've called me to come along. And inherent within that is, God, I am now an ambassador. Let me invite others to come along to see what you've done. It's sobering. And I will be the first to admit it. I'm in vocational ministry. This is hard for me to do. It's hard. It's awkward at times. It's scary. I don't know what to say. I don't know what the next step should be. I don't know if I'm motivated enough. I'm apathetic. All of those things. We struggle here. Personally, we struggle to be obedient to this command that God has given us, but globally as a church we, we struggle also it's it's easy to just re- retreat back to what 's comfortable and maybe it's because maybe it's because we don 't understand the mandate or maybe it's because we aren't motivated or maybe we're motivated and we get it and we 've heard the sermon on make disciples we just don't know how we don 't know what that next step is what my hope to do in what I hope to do in this sermon is to look at the what, the why, and the how of Jesus' Great Commission. Let's start with the what. From this passage, what do we see as Jesus' what that he's calling us to? And I want to be real clear the command of Jesus, the command Jesus gives us, is all about making disciples, all about making disciples. Um, within this command, in verses 19 and 20, there are four verbs. There are four verbs that show up, right? We see go, we see make disciples, we see baptizing, we see teaching, right? Of those four v- verbs, there's one main verb, matheteusid, and it's make disciples. In the Greek language, in the sentence structure, there wouldn't have just been four equal verbs. There would have been one main verb, and the other three verbs, they hang as participles underneath this verb, make disciples, which means Jesus is being very clear the point of the great commission is make disciples, and the other rhetoric here is to help us understand exactly what that actually means go is another imperative there 's two imperatives it 's go and make disciples, but go as it as it is subordinate to make disciples it, it means actively go i 've I've, um, heard some people um, talk through this passage and, and interpret go here in this passage more as an as you go, kind of like an as you're going through your life, make disciples, um, which uh, it would be, honestly, much more comfortable to preach, but that's not really what Jesus is saying. It is an active imperative that he is saying, go, go out of your comfort zone. Acts 1, he even gets more explicit, which we'll we'll talk a lot on and, and even walk out as a church as he, Calls even geographically to move further and further out of your comfort zone, eventually to the ends of uh, the world, ends of the nations. Um, So I think it's important that we see that go is an active, pushing, how do we leave our comfort zone? And then also, one other observation for the language um, before I get into the rest of the what is it's really important to understand that when he says all nations, um, it's similar to how he uses it in Matthew 25. He uses the same word really when he talks about how. Jesus will gather all of the people groups together, and he will separate the goat from the sheep, and he will kind of divide those who have put their faith. And so that idea of all nations is really all people groups is who we should be going to. So, so here's what we see. Just from these, these two verses in verse 19 and 20, we see that this is an active challenge by our Savior, if he is our Savior, to go out of our comfort zone, and we see that we are to to reach others that are not like us. But we're not just going to them. right? We see, ultimately, this is about making disciples, not just showing up. I need more what than just I show up. What do I do when I stand in front of someone that I'm called to love? I make disciples. Verse 19 and 20, um, Jesus hangs. These other two really descriptive verbs to help us understand what making disciples means here. Look at the end of verse 19. After he says, make disciples, go into all the nations, he says what? The next verb, he says, baptizing them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right For for clarity on what it means to make disciples, Jesus is showing us, he's giving his disciples handles. If making disciples is a two-sided coin, then one side of that is tied to this idea of baptism that we are called to go and make disciples baptizing them and we know that we know that jesus can't mean dunking people in water we, we know from all of scripture that the act of baptism is not a, a magical water act where then that becomes their salvation we know from romans 6 really explicitly that baptism is an, a picture an outward expression of an inward surrender of those who have put their faith in christ That's the significance. It's a life surrendered. Baptism is a surrendered life of faith that leads to salvation by God's grace. And so we see that a part of our making disciples has to be evangelism. It has to be the explicit and the clear declaration that all have sinned, that all have fallen short, that we deserve separation for eternity that Jesus has come, that we can't be good enough, we can't be churchy enough, but he is our savior, Jesus Christ, the only hope for that salvation. That explicit gospel is essential to the act of making disciples. Right? Disciple making without evangelism is, is sterilizing the Great Commission. So often we find it more comfortable, though, um, to make disciples and then let's avoid Certainly, I do avoid at times those hard, awkward conversations. Um, one of my favorite illustrations of this, um, and one of the more convicting stories in my life, um, is my cousin. Uh, my cousin told me this story years and years ago. Um, my cousin was in a Christian band, so you know, you know, his varsity Christian uh, Christian band, and um, was a worship leader, and um, and and all around, very involved in the life of his church. And, um, all of those things. Everyone knew. Okay, you know he he's a he's a Christian. He's close to the Lord. All of those things. And he he worked at Starbucks uh, with another buddy who was also a worship leader with him. And there was a girl who worked at Starbucks with him. Um, and she didn't know the Lord. She wasn't there. She wasn't there yet. She didn't grow up in the church. That wasn't a thing for her. And so my cousin and his buddy, who who loved the Lord dearly and were really involved in the church, they're like, man, we're gonna love this girl. We're going to make disciples, man. We're going, to, we're going to do this. And we're just going to be really kind to her. And so for a year, they just built this really incredible relationship, being kind, covering shifts, inviting her to the, the church things that, that, that they do and that they're a part of. And we're just really kind and built an incredibly, honestly, pretty deep friendship. One day at the coffee shop, someone comes in, and they're ordering coffee from, from this young woman, and they just start preaching, right, hell and heaven and salvation and do you know where you're going to go if, if you die? And if, and if you don't know, and, and really laying it on thick, if you aren't in Christ, then you're going to spend an eternity separated from Christ in hell. And so she's starting to get real flustered and it's this awkward interaction and my cousin's there and he's getting awkward and he's thinking, oh no, this guy's ruining it. I've been building this bridge for a year and here's this guy coming in and just dropping just truth bombs in hell and all of this stuff. She gets so flustered, she actually leaves her shift. She, she's like, Can I get out of here? So after he leaves, she's just flustered visibly. And so he's like, Oh, yeah, of course, you go, I'll cover for you. So he covers for her. the next day. She comes back into the coffee shop and she just light as a feather. And her her mood has changed and she's not weighed down like she was when she left the day before. And so he's thinking, how? Okay, I mean, he was thinking about it all, all night, like, oh, no, What's, how's she going to react? Is this going to be some huge steps back that this guy came in just hitting the evangelism card so hard? And, um, and so he asks her, hey, how are you doing? What, that guy yesterday, how, how did you process all that? How did you settle on all that? And she said, yeah, oh, yeah, I thought about that for a little while, and I was really shaken up, and then I realized, that guy is lying because... If I was destined to spend an eternity without Christ, you would have told me that somewhere within the last year. (laughs) And he just sank. Because he knew he had been trying to do discipleship without evangelism. He'd been trying to just love this girl without ever actually show her grace, show her grace, show her grace, without ever showing her truth. Sobering. And yet that happens all the time when we focus on one side of the coin in our discipleship. I'm just going to walk with believers. I'm just going to be kind and gracious. I'm going to show that side of the coin to my coworkers, to my neighbors, to my family. I'm going to play the long game. Making disciples. We've got to share explicit gospel. It's, it's tied to the what of making disciples. that Jesus says that's heaven and hell, that's sin and grace. Five and a half, over five and a half billion people who don't believe that truth, who have not put their faith in Christ and Christ alone. 800,000 people in a 10-mile radius of our campus's Christ Chapel. 800,000 people who wake up and they don't say, where am I going to go to church? Where's my hope? My hope isn't in Jesus. And we have got to not grow weary and not grow cynical Make disciples, stepping. God, this is over our heads. The friend, the co worker, the family member. What disciple making is has to have an element of evangelism. But also, look at verse 20. Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Making disciples. But this command is also about teaching. That's the other side of the coin, right? And let me expound on teaching because teaching all that he has taught them, how would, how would the disciples have interpreted that? Right? Well, when, when they thought, oh, how Jesus taught us, they would have thought, not just standing at a lecture forum teaching people the information. No, no, what Jesus did was he walked with them. He did life on life modeling what it looks like to live in light of this gospel, right? He walked with him. he taught them along the way, he shared meals, evangelism. Without a life of discipleship and teaching and walking alongside brothers and sisters or non-believing, without that, it's shallow roots. And I see this all the time. I see this all the time in, in ministry, and I think specifically even in, in young adult ministry and, and college ministry, we'll, you'll, you'll see opportunities where, Either the gospel's presented, or, or, or student ministry, somebody comes to camp, and then they hear the gospel, and they, they have this interaction with the Lord. They hit rock bottom in college, and they, they hear the gospel, and there's maybe a change in a seed, and, and maybe it's sprouting, maybe it's there, and then there's nothing. There's no walk, there's no discipleship, there's no follow-up with them. And, and we see the parable when Jesus says, There's seeds that are casted out, and there's good soil that grows deep roots, but there's also seeds that fall on paths, and birds come and grit them, and seeds that fall on rocks, and maybe they sprout up fast, but their roots are really shallow. Discipleship should also look like life on life. Jesus' great commission is not just go and convert. It's go and make disciples. And that will be, spoiler alert, inconvenient for our lives at times. The great commission is not a convenient, comfortable thing. It's worth it. But it will be inconvenient. And so why? Why do it? Why does Jesus care? Why would Jesus stand there? If, if discipleship, the what, is this combination of, of evangelism and, and life-on-life teaching and discipleship, then why? Well, the command Jesus gives is motivated by his heart for people. It's motivated by his heart for people, And if I had all the time in the world, we could definitely talk about the, this why and elaborate on, on more reasons for Jesus' command, like his kingdom, which would be true, um, like his glory, which would absolutely be true. Um, those are all correct. But I think what encapsulates those areas of, of Christ's theology and, and why this great commission is, is so important, this final challenge to his disciples, is because it ties under the umbrella of this is his heart his heart to invite those into his kingdom, his heart for his, even his own glory, and his heart for those who are far from him. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that God desires all to be saved. We see in Romans 5.8 that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If that's not the heart of a God who desires those who are far to come home, as a prodigal son's returning or or a bride that needs rescuing, theme after theme after theme, verse after verse after verse, in this God's word, reveals his heart. Matthew is 28 chapters that we've spent looking at the heart of God. His heart for people. His heart for people to know. His heart to restore broken people, to redeem sinners like me, to redeem sinners like you. And the harvest is plentiful, right? The harvest of of what God is doing is plentiful. There's so much we could look at and say, wow, this is overwhelming. And there's also another way to look at it and say, this is amazing. Look what you're doing, God. The fact that refugees from other countries are pouring into our metroplex who are hurting and looking for hope because they have been persecuted by their former religion, and now they're here open for suggestions, open for hope. And they're here in our backyard, Right, our Christ Chapel, even our Christ Chapel missions department. If you don't know Bill Hampton, you should become friends with, everyone should become friends with Bill Hampton, I'm convinced. He's our missions pastor, and one of my favorite humans. Danielle is probably tops, and then maybe Bill Hampton, and then maybe, then maybe my kids. Um, <laughs> they're not streaming the service, so I can say that. Um, right, our missions department is doing unbelievable things. They just got back from a short-term trip. That, there was another trip of About a month ago, that was in Warsaw, loving on Ukraine refugees who were fleeing for their life and getting to be the hands and feet and sharing the explicit gospel and loving and walking with these people and coming alongside other believers there in the area. Um, Man, there's so many opportunities where this is happening, where we see God's heart play out. Um, One of them, which is obviously near and dear to my heart, is college ministry. You as a church are so generous. You might not know this, but (laughs) You built a building for college students. They will never tithe, right? It is a financial black hole, our college ministry. Because this church and the elders and Cody came along to the heart of God and say there are college students in our backyard as an outreach here at the Fort Worth campus that need Jesus, who will never come into this church or another church, but they're going to walk across the street from TCU to a coffee shop that, I don't know if you know this, we have three services a week, right? Three services. At the beginning of the year, we had almost 800 college students showing up to hear the gospel as we preach through the book of Galatians, right? That's amazing. We've got families from Christ Chapel who then open up their homes. Um, A couple weeks ago, Last Sunday, actually, we had dinner with a couple of our family night leaders. And, and what they do is they just are connected to our ministry, and they open up their home, and they just love college students and pray for them and meet them where they're at. And, uh, and they were telling me at dinner um, that they invited their kids over right before finals, kind of their last kind of hoorah and dinner, just loving on them. And, and they invited somebody also to just kind of share and, and share their heart for Christ. Two college students that night in the living room of, of one of our Christ Chapel families put their faith in Christ for the first time in that family night. Um, just unbelievable stuff that continues to happen over and over and over again in student ministries and children's ministries, in your ministries that aren't attached to this church at all, but are attached to the Spirit of God that is in you. The harvest is plentiful. God has told us, go make disciples, because that is His heart. It's everywhere. So I got to ask a question before I transition quickly. Before I transition out of this why, is a part of the why because God needs us? Is is God in the heavens? Does he have his hands tied a little? And he's looking down and saying, Man, I sure hope those followers really step in to reaching those people I want to, but my hands are tied. Um, I guess what I'm asking is, is our God weak? And I can answer that very clearly, very unmistakably, no, absolutely not. We see all throughout Scripture. Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens. He does what he pleases. Colossians 1, for by him all things are created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him, for him. He is before all things. He, is after. he holds all things together. Our God is not weak. He is in control, which that then motivates my why, right? It motivates my why because he's in control, right? Because it makes Jesus' commands not a, not a command that I, I have to because he needs me, but a command that I get to because he wants to use me. He wants to use you in what the all-powerful God is doing by affecting eternity, Use us. Why should I be obedient to Matthew 28? I get to be a part of the story of God. I get to be used by the God of the universe, me, who's massively inadequate to make any sort of eternal impact. But He does. He is. Why? Why would we want to miss out on that? Which then leads me to this: how? How do we do that? If if what the call is becomes clear, it is to go, it is to get out of our comfort zone. Whatever that looks like, it's to get out of our comfort zone. It's to, to, to make disciples, evangelism, walking, teaching, modeling, because it's the heart of God. But how do I do that? What if, what if they ask a question that I don't know the answer for? What if I start to do that and, and then they see the hypocrisy in my life? What if I fumble it? What if I fail? What if, I, what if I'm rejected? All of those things, how? How? It seems clear from the verses in Matthew 28, the command is accomplished by God working through the obedience of his people. That's how. right At a a very 30,000-foot level, how we do this, how you do this, how disciples are made is by God working through your obedience. Obedience. Philippians 2.13, "...for it is God who works in us to will and to do for his good pleasure." John 15, Jesus' last night before he's arrested, he's saying, you want to bear fruit? You want to do this thing? You need to stay connected to me. You need to abide in, abide in me. Stay connected. Apart from me, you're not going to be able to do any of that. Right? Even Solomon in the Old Testament in Proverbs 21, he says, um, he says, the horse. you prepare the horse for battle, but victory is the Lord's. Victory, we have a role to play to be obedient, but victory is the Lord's. Fruit is the Lord's. What, the work that he will do is his. And so our role is to say, yes, send me. Send me across the street. Send me to my coworkers. Send me to kids' ministries in any of these campuses, which are filled with kids who have yet to see Jesus as their king send me to apartment complexes that are filled with refugees who are hurting and looking for hope send me overseas to areas where people are hurting and need the hands and feet of christ send me to areas of the globe if it's your will god where people don't even have the bible in their language god yes send me send me where i don't belong send me where i don't belong because that's where you came and found me he found us where we didn't belong and sinned, stuck dead in our trespasses. And then the beautiful gospel of grace met us where we don't belong. So then our response is, thank you, Jesus, send me obedience. Obedience is the key to how we do this. And let me get a little more practical than that in our, in our last few minutes. Three ways to really zoom in on on what that obedience looks like, just to help get us one foot in front of the other. First is we go, we we are obedient, we go, and we go from a place of worship. And that's so important. Right now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee and they were up on this mountain and they were worshiping, right? It says they were worshiping him. These men knew Jesus. They had walked with him, they'd been changed by him, their lives had been changed. Right, Matthew 4, Jesus says, hey, come and follow me. And they drop their nets. They're fishermen on the shore. And Peter and Andrew, he says, come and follow me at the beginning of Matthew. And they drop their nets. And he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And now here in the last chapter, he's saying, good, now you know me. You worship me. You see me as king. Now go. But it has to come from a place of depth of knowing who Jesus is, being changed by Jesus. So it's a reminder for us, right, a challenge, really. We go from a place of worship, not just obligation. If we walk out of here and we say, okay, I'm supposed to make disciples. That's a, new, that's, a, that's a box on my list that I need to start checking more of. Our obedience should come from our worship. It should come from our changed lives. It should come from the fact that our hearts have been changed, which really means that when we go from a place of worship, it means that our primary responsibility, your primary responsibility as an effective disciple maker is that you enjoy God. That you enjoy God. That is your primary responsibility. If you want to be an effective, living out the how of making disciples, that you are focused on being a disciple who enjoys God, has a transformed life. Listen, there are people here. I, I know there are people here and there are people watching. There are people at other campuses who have yet to be there. You come to church, and that is good. That's good that you're here. But you've yet to experience the joy of your salvation. You have yet to experience that. You have yet to fully put your faith in Jesus Christ. So today, today, December 18th, this isn't a coincidence that you're hearing it. I believe that the God of the universe says, you are mine. It's not an accident. Come and follow me. You can't do it on your own. You can't clean yourself up. Let me, Jesus says, clean you up. All you have to do, all you have to do to receive that free gift of grace, all you have to do is surrender everything. You are my king. You are my father. Don't let another day go by doing religion or church or running or searching or striving without applying the gospel of Jesus Christ to your life. And for those who have applied the gospel of Jesus Christ to our life, would we live, would we run in such a way that would testify to those around us that we have not lost sight of our first love, as is often the challenge for believers. We're so busy, we're so tired, we're so distracted. We maybe feel so far from him. We've made so many mistakes, all of these hurdles. But instead, today, we crawl back to his grace that never changed never changed because of our track record. We say, God, would you restore the joy of my salvation? And would that be the fuel, that worship, that response for my obedience to go from that place of worship? And then we go with our doubts and our insecurities in tow, right? They're coming with us. Because I think so often we can think, all right, okay, I need to be close to the Lord. But then I I get paralyzed because I think, well, I'm still not there yet. I still haven't arrived yet. I still haven't experienced enough good. I still need a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. I need to sit at his feet a little bit longer before I'm, I'm ready to go, as if, that's a, as if it's not as we go, we, we walk with Jesus. If you're like me, that paralyzes me. And, and in verse 17, I love, I love what happens here. In verse 17, it says, And when they saw him, they worshipped. But remember, it also said, but some doubted. But some doubted. And, it, and, and what that means is even at the same time, some of the same disciples, while they were worshiping Jesus, you're good. Simultaneously in their heart, they said, but I'm also scared. But I also might not have the answers. But I also might not know the right next step. Which That is so relevant to my heart. And maybe yours too. And so I take those insecurities, and I take those fears, and I take those doubts, and I take the I don't knows. And I say, I'm going to follow you because you've called me. I'm going to go make disciples and go be obedient out of worship because I enjoy you, because you found me where I don't belong. And my insecurities can come along too. We don't let those paralyze us because we're called to just go one step at a time. And that's the last thing I want us to remember and walk out of here with is we just go one step at a time all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. We see in verse 18. And then the very last words of Matthew here, the gospel writer says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus, the one who all authority and power has been given to, is with us till the end of the age. He is with you if you are in Christ. That is where our confidence comes from. Not From the absence of doubt and fear, that's not our our confidence. Our confidence does not come because I've arrived with my uh, knowledge or my abilities, but because the one who has all power is with me. That's where my confidence comes from. And I met with him this morning. And I said, God, I'm in over my head. He said, I know, isn't it awesome? I said, yeah. He said, just take one step after the other. Follow me. It's me through you, Ben. It's him through you in your life. Your job is to go one step at a time. Across the street, across the office, across the dinner table, across the world. I can't tell you in this sermon what your next step of obedience is. That's not my place to say. But I can tell you that if you're in Christ, he is calling you to take another step. Don't miss it. Father, you're good. Your kindness towards us, sinners in need of a Savior, and here you are. And not just saved us and called us to a relationship with you, but also given us this command, this life of purpose to live. Lord, would we do it one step at a time in obedience, with our eyes fixed on you, out of joy. Do what only you could do in the name of Jesus, for your glory. Amen.